you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. Good morning. Remain standing with me. Open up your Bibles. Uh, turn to the book of Jonah. My name is Janet Reams. Again, it's my, my honor to, to read God's word with you. If you remember uh, last week, Jonah is in quite a predicament. He's in the belly of a whale. As we begin in uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. I called to the Lord in my distress, and he answered me. I cried out for help from deep inside Sheol. You heard my voice. You threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me. All your, billows, all your breakers and your billows swept over me. But I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. The water engulfed me up to the neck. The watery depths overcame me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. As my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. The word of the Lord. Thanks so much, Janet. She was really excited to get to read today because she had to read the word vomited. So, you know, you never know what you're going to get in the Bible. Um, I, uh, I want to say a special thanks to Stephen for preaching last week. If you didn't get to hear his sermon, it's fantastic. And it is on the podcast. So we've been in this like season of transition. And just like a lot of you, summer has been summer for all of us as well. So we're working on rebuilding some of the healthy patterns and rhythms uh, as a church. And we got the podcast uploaded and I was joking with him. I was like, I was like, hey man, I, I said, I really love, there was one part of your sermon I really loved this last week. He's like, okay. And I was like, you said when Jonah, what God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. And, and instead Jonah goes almost the exact opposite direction. And Stephen said, it was like, Jonah was like double birds to you, God. And, and he, he was like, not my finest moment. I was like, no, the, the point is that we would be clear like, how do we make sure that the Bible that we're reading isn't just some abstraction, just something that lives in this nebulous void that we don't really understand? And, and that is what we call vivid language, okay? That's really vivid language. And I want to say, uh, after Jonah, after this series, we're going to do a series called Practicing the Way, and it's going to be about following Jesus and um, uh, there's a quote from Dallas Willard, I believe. He says, if you want the life that Jesus had, then you have to live the life that Jesus lived. And so I wanted to say, for any of you who are interested in learning how to preach or teach the Bible, anybody in the room, any age, interested, either gender, interested in learning how to better preach or teach the Bible, I wanna invite you to shoot me an email and say, hey, I'd like to learn because I'm gonna put together some cohorts where I don't teach you how to do it, I teach you a little bit about how I do it. 
And so it's my approach to doing it, which may or may not be helpful to you, just full disclosure, but I wanna give people access to walk through some of that with me. I wanna say uh, two words of welcome this morning, and then we're gonna take a brief moment. This is the heads up for some music in a second to actually welcome each other, but I wanna say welcome to my dad who's here uh, today. Uh, yeah. Red Hill would never have been planted if I hadn't been planted. You know what I'm saying? So I was born and uh, the Red Hill is the fruit of our efforts. And uh, of course, I am the fruit of my mom and dad. And I would not be any kind of a man that was worth anything without having a father like I've had. And I just want to give honor to him and say how much I love you and respect you. And I'm thankful that you could make the trip this weekend. I also want to welcome my good friend, Brad Price, who's down here on the front row. Brad was a student of mine at First Baptist Winsville. Brad was one of those kids just had limitless potential to either like he's he's like an atomic bomb this might be the greatest thing that's ever happened or it's going to cause a lot of chaos and destruction I just want to say publicly Brad I'm so thankful for you and I'm proud of the way that you are following Jesus over the arc of a life that hasn't always been easy or simple I'm just really proud of you so let's do this because everybody's been on vacation and everybody's been traveling and you know in and out I'm thankful that we made it through July it's my least favorite church month although one of my favorite weather months least favorite church month we're in August now I want you to stand up we're going to play some music you don't have to say hi to anybody so if you're introverted you sit back down and open a book if you want to but everybody else let's get let's get a handshake or a hug in there all right you take a minute all right all right all right all right quit loving on each other cut it out stop all that fellowshipping that's enough Brotherly love for the morning, for now. <laughs> just kidding. You guys are, you're welcome to hang out all day, actually, if you want. We'll just lock the front door and leave, and you can stay as long as you want. There's water and bathrooms, so you can help yourself to all that. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Snacks in the back if you need them. Okay. Um, I, I want to I wanna get back to our text here this morning, and I, I want to give you the whole sermon in one phrase, right here, the whole sermon in one phrase. All right, you ready? Affection determines direction. Right? I put it on Facebook and Twitter this morning because I was thinking about it. And I haven't posted in a while, and I don't really post all that much anymore. Affection determines direction. The things that you like, you gravitate towards. The people that you like, the gra you, gravi you gravitate towards them. The, the, the teams that you like, you gravitate towards them. You're more interested in them. You learn more about them. Your whole heart, mind, body, soul, strength, and finances move towards the things that you go, I just really like that. If you really like running, I really like running. I'm, I'm dealing with a foot injury, so I don't run right now. But I really like running. And so if you really like running, you know what you do? You start buying more running clothes. And you have, if you have more running clothes than there are days of the week, you're either bad at math or laundry. <laughs> or maybe it's really good at fashion, like me, which is how I choose to view it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you buy good running shoes, not just running shoes, because everybody who runs knows running shoes aren't really running shoes. Can I get an amen from the runners in the room? Yeah, thank you very much. If you like the St. Louis Cardinals, you get interested in the record. You believe yourself to be a better GM than the current GM, whom I cannot name, and I don't care if you judge me about it, okay? 
If you like music, you gravitate towards music. If you like country music, you gravitate away from music and towards what they call country music. That's just a joke. I like country music too, all right? It's just a joke. What I'm saying is affection determines direction. Jonah is caught up in a deep love for his people. And that deep love for his people sends him running from the presence of God. Because as Stephen told you last week, there had been prophecies made by Jonah that Nineveh is going to destroy Israel. They're gonna break Israel's back. They're gonna do terrible things to the Israelites. And Jonah says, well, I don't really wanna go and help them. I don't wanna put weapons into the hand of my enemy. I don't wanna put strength and courage into the heart of my enemy. I love my people. And so he runs from the presence of God. And so God says, if I cannot get your affection from you, I'm gonna give my affliction to you. And Jonah, it says in chapter two, verse one, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Jonah prayed. His prayer was born out of affliction, not out of affection. Jonah throughout the whole book proves himself to be a brilliant theologian. Honestly, I think a perfect theologian. His theology about who God is, what God's going to do, what God is capable of, what God's promises are, what God has said, he is perfectly on point all the way through. In fact, at the end of the book, when he's real ticked off and throwing a pity party, he says, I knew that you were going to show mercy. That's why I didn't wanna go. I knew all these things. And I think you and I are a lot like Jonah, where our ability to know far outstrips our capacity to obey. And what do we look for over and over and over and over again in our devotional lives? What, do we, what did you want when you came to church this morning? I just need a fresh word from the Lord. I need to hear something new from the Lord. I need God to tell me and teach me something new. And I think God is saying to me and to you and probably still to Jonah, he's been perfected now, he's in heaven, so that's probably past. But what he's saying to us is really what we need is not some sort of fresh and new word from him, but the capacity to obey the old word and the affection to move towards him, to have not our intelligence stirred, but to have our hearts stirred, to be warmed back up to him. Jonah knows God, but for most of this book, he does not love God. And more importantly, he does not like God very much. Throughout the majority of the book, if you were to say, how does Jonah feel about God? You'd be like, I don't think he cares for him too much. I'm fleeing from his presence. I'm bitter that he did what he would do. I knew that you would do this. One of the marks of a disciple for us at Red Hill, one of the ways that we're evaluating, are we accomplishing our mission is, are the people who are part of our church, are they building a warm and growing affection for God and people? a warm and growing affection for God and people. Sometimes we present discipleship, we present following Jesus in the following way. We, we make it seem like that there's a set of facts that you're supposed to know and a set of behaviors that you're supposed to integrate and that if you can do those two things, you will finally get to the point in your life where you no longer need Jesus. 
the goal of discipleship is not to get to the point where we no longer need Jesus. The goal of discipleship is to live in such a way that if Jesus were actually me, that that's what my life would look like. Full obedience with the full personality, the full complement of gifts, and the even fuller complement of deficiencies that I possess. That's what it should look like. A warm and growing affection for God and people. God, you see, he wants our highest good, but we're willing to settle for our lowest uh, pleasure. He wants our highest good. This is why he will afflict Jonah because he wants Jonah's highest good. What is Jonah's highest good? To be in his presence forevermore. To always share intimacy with him. Fellowship, because out of that flows every good thing. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithful, gentleness, self-control, love. Out of that flows meaning. Out of that flows connection and family and friendship. Every good thing comes from being in God's presence. And Jonah knows that and yet even still he has a higher affection than his affection for God. And so he flees from God's presence. And God says, I'm committed to your highest good. I want you to say out loud right now, God is committed to my highest good. You didn't all say it, so we're gonna do it again, and I'm watching. God is committed to my highest good. And he means that in the most loving way possible, in the same way that my dad would lovingly say to me, Raiden, if you do that again, I'm going to tan your hide. I love you and I want the best for you and I am absolutely, unfailingly committed to your highest good. It is for those whose affection is warm and growing toward God, the most comforting promise that could ever be made because we are all struggling towards that. You know what I'm saying? We're limping towards the presence of God. None of us is like, I've figured it all out and I have perfectly mastered discipleship in this age. That's not how it looks. It looks more like I'm just keep failing forward. I just keep failing forward. And people come to you like, you're, you're such a great Christian. You're like, oh no, how bad are they at Christianity? If they think I'm a good Christian or what am I doing to make them think that because I feel like I'm failing forward and failing over and over again. But for those who are fleeing from the presence of the Lord, it should be the most terrifying promise that could ever be made. That God would say to you, if you are part of his family, that God would say to you, I am unfailingly committed to your highest good. And although you may pursue your lowest pleasures, I will pursue you and I will press endlessly to push you, to pull you, to prod you, and to provoke you to your highest good. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to Romans chapter 2. If you don't, you can just listen in. Romans chapter two and verse four. Paul writing to the Romans says, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Some of us experience God's discipline and we say over and over again, God, could you let up on me already? Could you give me a break? 
I'm getting this discipline from you and I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I don't want it anymore and I just need your help. And God is like, I am helping you. I am helping you, although it is not help that you seem to want right now. I've heard from lifeguards that you don't save someone who's drowning until they go down the third time. Because it's not until they go down the third time that they've surrendered. And if you go and try and rescue them too early, you can actually be pulled under by them in their panic. The highest good he's committed and he will discipline. In Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verses 11 and 12, the writer of Hebrews says, no discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. Discipline, not fun when you experience it, I got a friend, Noah, who talks about a really miserable year of his life and his family. His mom got cancer. Like everything was broken. Everything was hurting. Everything was wrong. And he said, his wife's name is Heather. He said, Heather and I said, this is the year from hell. He said, but now when we look back at it, we understand that it was a year from heaven. We were experiencing the Lord helping us get to his highest good for us. Jonah had been running because he was focusing on Nineveh's relationship to him and his nation instead of Nineveh's relationship with God. He was in hot pursuit of his own desires. It says though, beautifully in verse two, I called to the Lord in my distress and he answered me. This is the unfailing action of God. There has never been a time in human history when someone called out to God for help and God didn't help them. Every time, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the unfailing promise of God. Anyone, everyone, no matter if it is all your fault. Understand, Jonah is in the belly of this great fish and he says, God, it's you who put me here. And that fish itself was even a means of salvation because I don't know if you've ever been thrown out into the middle of the ocean, but it's usually the place where people drown because nobody can swim that far. You put me in the fish. You put me in this place, but Jonah also understands. I was running from your presence when it all happened. And in my distress, I call to the Lord. He's running because he doesn't want to help his enemies. We don't love people who hurt us. You don't love people who hurt you. You don't serve people who wound you. You don't bless people who tear you down. You don't humble yourself in the presence of those who are arrogant towards you. You don't give to those who steal from you. You don't trust those who betray you. And you don't save those who kill you because you are not God. But God, he loves those who have wounded him. He serves those who have hurt him. He blesses those who tore him down. He humbled himself in the presence of prideful people, himself, excuse me. He gives to those who would take from him. He trusts those whom he knows will betray him. And he saves those who put him to death on the cross saying, 
have mercy on them because they don't know what they're doing. I think people who get saved from drowning should focus their attention, their affection, and their efforts on becoming lifeguards and not on swimming coaches and definitely not on critics of the athletes in the pool. Jonah does not want Nineveh to be saved. He does not want to obey God. He does not want to be in God's presence. And yet here he is in distress. I think sometimes, I think sometimes the Lord puts us into these places and allows us to have this awareness just so that we remember what it felt like once upon a time when we didn't have any hope and we didn't know what to do. In, uh, in these verses, two, three, four, five, six, we see some really good theology. He calls to the Lord. Hey, if you're in trouble, call to the Lord. You know why? He always picks up. You know what I'm saying? He always, he's always ready. Every one of us who, who is a follower of Jesus, you got the bat phone. You got the Holy Spirit inside of you. You got the red phone encased in glass. Just take the glass off, pick up the phone and say, I could use some help. Put the bat signal in the sky. God shows up every time. It doesn't always look like we want it to look. It doesn't always feel like we want it to feel, but unfailingly, he says, I'm here to help. I'm here because I want your highest good. And even when it's hard and miserable and difficult, I'm with you. So you don't have to face it alone because the secret of life is that everybody's gonna go through hard stuff. It's just some of us don't go through it alone. He calls to the Lord in verse two. Verse three, he sees God's sovereignty over his distress and pain. You threw me, you threw me into the depths, into the heart of the seas, and the current overcame me, and all your breakers and your billows swept over me. He knows where to look for help. He says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look once more towards your holy temple. I'm looking to you. I'm looking to the place where you dwell. I sank to the foundations of the mountains. Stephen talked about this last week, that Jonah's just going down. Instead of going up to the place of God's presence, he goes down to Tarshish. Then he goes down over the side of the boat. Then he goes down into the fish's belly. Then he goes down into the depths of the sea. Then he goes down into Sheol. And he says, then I'm all the way down to the foundations of the mountains. I don't know what kind of fish had Jonah. And some people are like, well, that wasn't really a fish and it was probably just an allegory. Look, whatever, all right? God says it's a fish, I'll let you take it up with him, okay? Jesus said it was a fish, I'll let you take it up with him. And if you're like, it's an allegory, I don't, I don't really care. You know what I'm saying? I don't really care. I believe what God's word has to say. I'm not interested in fighting with you about whether or not a fish really swallowed Jesus because if you can't accept miracles on their face, then you're gonna have a lot more problems than Jonah and a fish. We serve the God who can and who does do whatever he wants. That's what scripture says about him. The Lord does what he wants and it pleases him which is what makes him different from me because I do what I want and feel unhappy about it. I'm like, I want to eat a whole lot of food. Then I'm like, oh man, why did I eat all that food? Every Mexican restaurant ever. I'm like, I order this big meal and I'm like, I, it gets here and I'm like, why did I eat six baskets of chips and salsa? As I dip another chip into the salsa. I'm like, I don't know, but I guess I'm just taking this food home. You know what I'm saying? I'm just paying for chips and salsa and leftovers. That's all I'm doing. Olive Garden, all the bread sticks. I eat all the bread and the pasta comes. I take two bites, right? This is how we operate. Down, all the way down, all the way low. But God is sovereign 
over my distress and pain. Those of you in a hard season, in a hard season, in a difficult place, in a difficult moment, you should understand nothing can get to you without God's permission. That doesn't mean that your life will be easy. That doesn't mean that your life will endlessly be a series of uninterrupted pleasures. In fact, because he loves you, it will often be the opposite of that. It means he's in control. When everything feels out of control, he's got it and he's got you. And when you can't hold on to anything else, you hold on to truth. It's like Bailey said this morning, like Brooke said long, long ago at Red Hill, we sing because we believe or we sing until we believe. We speak the truth out loud to ourselves and others because we believe it or we speak it until we believe it because my belief doesn't determine what truth is. He knows where to look for help. I'm looking up to your holy temple for help. And then in verse six, he says, I sang to the foundations of the mountains. The earth's gates shut behind me forever. Then you raised my life from the pit, Lord my God. Beautiful. That kind of salvation's surely gonna cause him to just explode with gratitude and obedience and affection. That's called foreshadowing. You gotta come back a couple more times. So he gets salvation from the Lord. He says, as my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, to your holy temple. I remembered the Lord. And I looked up this word remembered. And the word is zakar, which is a cool sounding name. And there are a few definitions of it. And one of the definitions that I found most interesting is I think the second or the third in the line of definitions was uh, to take someone to court. And I was like, to take someone to court, like, oh, okay, we're going to go and we're going to face a judgment together about what's true. Jonah is like, I brought myself to the place of clarity. I brought myself back to the place of truth, back to the place of honesty. You know, the word confess in Greek is homo logeo, it's a compound word. It's two Greek words combined together. Homo meaning same, logeo meaning word. So to confess, or zakar, to remember. What confession is, is saying the same thing that God says. When you're confessing, it's not like God is up and people are like, I can't confess this sin to God. I mean, he's holy and he's perfect. You're not informing him. It's not like God is in heaven like you did what? I'm gonna have to get Jesus for this one. You know what I mean? It's, that is not what is happening. You're not giving him a news flash. You're not giving him new information. Confession is not me informing God about my sin. Confession is me agreeing with God. I am in sin. When Jonah is remembering, all he is saying right here is, all of a sudden, truth was brought to bear upon my soul. Jesus said about Satan, he's the father of lies. And when he is lying, he is speaking his native tongue. And one of the great difficulties that we have is living in the malaise of a culture that is filled with things that are not truth. Jonah is in the belly of the fish and he says, truth was brought to bear upon me. I remembered, I remembered 
It's the exact feeling that the prodigal son had. Flip over to Luke chapter 15. We're gonna look at just a little part of the prodigal son's story. It says, starting Luke 15, starting in verse 17, I, really, I like this phrase, but this phrase, it means zakar, okay? It's the same thing. It says, when he came to his senses, and the literal translation says, when he came to himself, because you, you need to understand, those of you who are Christians, who you actually are is a saint. That's who you actually are. That's the true identity of yourself because you have been made that by Jesus. You are no longer identifiable as a sinner. You are a saint who sins, but you are a saint. The prodigal son says, I came, when I came to my senses, when I came back to who I actually am, he says, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food and here I am dying of hunger? I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Here's the equivalent prayer that we pray today. God, if you get me out of this, I'll do fill in the blank. If you get me out of this mess, I'll do everything this, I'll give a bunch of money, I'll serve in the, I'll be so nice to my spouse, I'll be kind to my kids, I promise I'll do this, if you will do this for me, then I will do this for you. This is the, this is the prayer that we often pray. So, so he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Jesus is telling a story about sinners coming back to him. He's a long way off. The father sees him and is not filled with rage, is not filled with regret, is not filled with anger, is not filled with disdain, is filled with compassion. And he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with the feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate because no action can invalidate being a son or a daughter. There is nothing that you can ever do that will make you not a son or a daughter of your parents. And there is nothing that you or Jonah could ever do that would not make you a son or a daughter of your heavenly father when you have given your life to him. That is great news. And Jonah is in the belly of this fish. I don't know why it took him three days. Maybe God was like, we're gonna make it three days. Hang in there because Jesus is gonna need this one later on. It's all part of the plan is all I'm saying. But three days in the belly of a fish sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. And he remembered, he remembered. Somebody this morning needs to remember. Somebody this morning has gotten lazy in their faith. They've grown cold in their faith. They've picked up a sinful habit, a sinful pattern of living. And you need to remember who you are and whose you are. Verse eight says, those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. 
This is such good theology, you guys. Those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. Their, the, the faithful love that's being given does not abandon them. When I chase after sin, it's not like God goes, well, the faithful love will be here whenever you come back. The faithful love keeps pursuing me. Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Over and over and over again, his faithful love follows me. But Jonah says, if you set your affection on something less than and something lower than, you will abandon the faithful love. You will walk away from it. You will make yourself vulnerable to all that happens to those who abandon covenant. Jonah's saying, I know what it feels like to pursue a worthless idol. I know what it's like. Affection determines direction. Another way of saying it is whatever you worship, that's what you're gonna become. Uh, among church planters in St. Louis, there's a, a joke. People are like, you know, what's, a, what's the biggest church in St. Louis? And we're like, the biggest church in St. Louis meets right downtown. They're like, really? I haven't heard of it. Yeah, they meet at Bush Stadium. <laughs> like 75 times a year. They, ha they have a whole off season, but like 75 times a year, people will dress up in their holy vestments. They will partake in the communion of a beer and a hot dog. They will raise their hands and their voices in worship with the victories that they succeed in, they will gladly throw their arms around strangers and celebrate in joy with absolutely no inhibition. They will worship. When it's not good, they lament. Sackcloth, ashes, throwing jerseys into 55 gallon drums and burning them. I'll never cheer for you again until victory comes back to the house of the cards. There has not been a lot of joy in the house of the cards this year. <laughs> Whatever you worship, you're gonna become like that. You ever seen somebody get interested in something for the first time? And they're like, oh, I, I am a, I'm a backpacker now. So I have to buy a $500 backpack and a $700 tent and all of this gear and I'm gonna buy the right shoes for it and I spend money traveling to go do it, and I'm not saying don't have affections. I'm saying the same thing Stephen said last week. Anything that you put before God is an idol. Anything that you can't stop thinking about is an idol. Anything that you give all your love is an idol. Anything that you give all your time is an idol. Anything for which you say, I will joyfully and gladly sacrifice it all is an idol. So let's make sure that we keep our affections in line with our one great affection. Because those who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. They, they walk away from it. But verse nine says, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The Lord is still in charge. God is still on his throne. He has not forgotten. He is not blind. He is not deaf. He is not dumb. He is not incapacitated. He is powerful. He is capable. 
He is present. He is compassionate. He is interested. It doesn't mean it turns out in your favor. It doesn't mean that the moment will be something that pleases you because he is not interested in doing things that bring you pleasure. He's interested in bringing you to your highest good. His presence forevermore. Salvation belongs to the Lord, which is, by the way, a direct quote of about 100 passages of Scripture, two of which I want to read to you. Hi, good morning, Phoebe. I love you. In Psalms chapter three, in verse eight, it says salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessings be upon your people. And in Psalm chapter 37, verse nine, it says, for evildoers will be destroyed, but those who put their hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Over and 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 over we are told salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And yet somehow still we get it into our heads that it matters that we have the right technique to be able to share the gospel, that we have the right relational equity to be able to share the gospel, that we have the right theology to be able to share the gospel, and that we have the right equipping so that we can answer every question that might be asked in order to share the gospel. But what does the Bible say about salvation? It belongs to the Lord. When God wants to flip on the switch of belief inside of a person's heart, they believe. And you know what happens when you believe? You believe. And people are like, well, how could a fish swallow a person and they live for three days? And I'm like, I don't really know. I just believe. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, well, how did the world get started? Well, there was some stuff that is just, I guess, around fraternity. Nobody really talks about that side of it that somehow matter always existed and then the matter was like you know what let's blow up and it did and then later like two frogs were like what if we made a bird and they tried and they got it like a fourth right I guess and then the bird frog was like I can help I'll finish the process and I'm like well how do you know that? What's well, what I believe. Okay, so we're, we're on the same page then. We just choose to believe different things. And I got some family members that don't know the Lord. People that I love dearly that don't know the Lord. I was talking to my friend, Corey Johnson. I got to go over and help assess some elder candidates over at Heights. And I was like, dude, I just, I love your testimony so much. I just love his testimony so much. And, and his wife, Andrea was there. And she was like, she was like, let me hear you say it because I got a beef with how he tells it. And I'm like, all right, here's what I remember. You and Andrea are living together, not saved, both using and selling drugs, drinking a lot. You wake up after a night of carousing and you go, um, he's like, in his heart, he was like, oh no. All of a sudden, I believe the gospel. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that he would save me and that I'm supposed to be his son. And he's like, and also, I think I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. He said, I'm laying there and all this stuff comes to realize, like I just realize it. He goes, so Andrea's in bed next to him and he's like, hey babe. She's like, yeah, what's up? And he goes, I'm a Christian now. She goes, okay. He goes, and I think I'm supposed to be a youth pastor. And here's where the discrepancy is because Corey says, 
that she looked at me and said, you're going to have to make some changes. She says, I looked at him and said, we're going to have to make some changes. Corey's like, no, no, you're going to have to make some changes. And here's why I love that. Because I have family members that I've shared my faith with and friends that I've shared my faith with and neighbors that I've shared my faith with and people that I went to high school with that I've shared my faith with. And it looks to me like there is no hope. I can't find a way in. I can't find the crack that the gospel can enter into their heart where they'll believe the good news. And Corey's testimony reminds me of this truth. In the history of every person who has ever believed the gospel, there's been a time when they didn't believe. So all I'm watching right now is the backstory. That's all I'm seeing. All I'm seeing is the backstory and I believe it. One of my, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to read biographies about Christians. Um, one of my favorite biographies is about a guy named George Mueller who started, uh, started orphanages for the glory of God. It's an incredible story that I don't have time to tell, but I wanted to share this one quote and, and it's long and I apologize. I found the quote this morning and I didn't put it on the slides. So just try to tune in with me. But George Mueller's talking about the importance of prayer. He, he was a dedicated man of prayer. He said his, his first responsibility every day was to make his soul happy in the Lord and everything flowed out of that. He recorded more than 25,000 requests and God's answers to the requests in his journals. And he said this about prayer. He said, the point is to never give up until the answer comes. I've been praying every day for 52 years for two men, sons of a friend from my youth. They are not converted yet, but they will be. I love that. You're not saved yet, but you will be. How can it be otherwise? There is the unchanging promise of Jehovah, and on that I rest. He says this, the great fault of the children of God is they do not continue in prayer. They do not go on praying. They do not persevere. If you desire anything for God's glory, you should pray until you get it. I prayed every day for 52 years, and by the way, the story, not that's the backstory. The story, one of those men was converted at George Mueller's uh, funeral and one was converted two years after. You know why I think? Because I think George Mueller got to heaven and was like, hey Jesus, uh, we've been talking about this for like 52 years and I'm not leaving your presence until you make good on your promise. But you know me, I'm like, hey, there's a promise, okay, I'm, I'm out of here, I gotta go do my thing. George Mueller says, I'm not leaving your presence until you make good on your promise. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not on us to save people. It's on us to share. Salvation belongs to the Lord, which is really freeing, isn't it? It's liberating. It's like good news about the good news. I don't need the perfect technique. I don't need all the right answers. I don't need to know the answer to every single question that could ever be asked. Because salvation belongs to the Lord. And then verse 10 says, then the Lord commanded the fish, because he's in charge of everything. The Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah's repentance put him back on the right path, but he still smelled like fish guts. You know, the, like, Reliant K was this little band in the, like, 90s. 
and they just had some great theology. One of their songs, they say, I so hate consequences. Man, I hate consequences. Sometimes I don't repent because I would rather deal with dying in fish guts than smelling like fish guts. The shame. I mean, it's not like there's indoor plumbing at the beach. Some of y'all went to the beach this summer. There's not indoor plumbing there. You're like, well, you got some of those little showers that like dribble on you. If you pull the chain or whatever, you can hose your feet off. And then you go inside of the house where you're staying and what happens? Sand everywhere. Sand everywhere, right? You can't get it off of you. Have you ever touched fish? I'm not disagreeing. Have you ever touched fish? Have you ever held dead fish in your hands? They have yet to make a deodorizer that can solve that problem. Have you ever been swallowed by a fish? And then after living in its puke for three days, up chucked out onto the dry land? You guys, grace and mercy is greater than you could ever imagine and more accessible than you dared hope. But rebellion has consequences. The Proverbs talking about lust, it says, can a man dump fire into his lap and not be burned? And if you and I abandon faithful love, there are consequences. But one of the many lessons of Jonah is that smelling like fish guts is better than dying in fish guts. The best time to repent is immediately when you sin. The second best time is immediately right now. Because three days in fish guts is still better than six days in fish guts. How are you doing at following God's commands in your life? How about we just said the one and two great commands to love him and to love people. Not lovable people, people, real people. How are you doing? In Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse five, the writer of Hebrews talks about discipline. He says, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and punishes every son and every daughter that he receives. Endure suffering as discipline for God is dealing with you as sons and as daughters. For what son or daughter is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he does it for our benefit. If you are under discipline right now, it is for your benefit. If you eat healthy, it requires discipline for your benefit. If you exercise, it requires discipline for your benefit. If you want to study something, you must give discipline to that study and it's for your benefit. 
being stupid and lazy and out of shape and ignorant requires no discipline. But everything that is good requires discipline. And God is disciplining us for our benefit so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and your weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. You know what's better than being in the belly of a fish? Being in the presence of the Lord, that's better. But you know what the truth about my life is? It's the same as the truth about your life. For some strange reason, I'm attracted to misery because that is all the pursuit of my base pleasures have ever brought me. And God wants for me the absolute highest good. Discipline yields freedom. It produces love. That doesn't mean, guys, that doesn't mean that you walk out of here and go, now I have to be perfect. Please don't walk out with a burden that says, now I must be perfect. Instead, walk out with the good news of the gospel and say, oh no, I am now overboard. Can someone please put me back in the boat? Or, oh no, now I am in the belly of the fish. Can someone please get me back to the dry land? Where I am, God will you help me because God has never blessed or helped anyone except for exactly where they are. Exactly where you are this morning, God will meet you and he will help you. Those of you who are sons and daughters of the most high God, you need to remember. And those of you who have yet to give your lives to Jesus, you need to surrender. There's a place for you. There's a home for you. There's a purpose for you. And it's all found in the presence of God. And it is as easy as you could ever imagine to get there. All you do is just say, I sure do need some help. Because he has never failed to go to those who call out to him. Will you bow your head with me? If you're here this morning, you wanna give your life to Jesus, I wanna invite you to do that now. To just pray something simple. Just, I wanna be saved. It doesn't have to be anything magical and there's no set of words that you need to say, but you just call on the Lord. And you have the unfailing promise of the God who never lies that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And those of you who are in the water or in the belly of the fish, who've carefully cultivated the habits and the patterns of sin in your life, you need to remember. You need to remember. We take the Lord's Supper. Every week at Red Hill, we take the Lord's Supper. Those of you who are followers of Jesus, in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come and take the Lord's Supper. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, you do it in remembrance of me. Coming to the table is an act of coming back 
to who you really are and who Jesus really is. It's a declaration. It's a confession about what he has done for me. Don't you dare come to the table if you are still in the belly of the fish. But don't you dare stay in the belly of the fish when you've been invited to the table. That's dumb. And you're not dumb. Let's turn away from our lowest pleasures. Let's turn towards the presence of the Lord. Because in his presence, there's joy forevermore. I'm gonna pray. And then when you're ready, you can come. You can take the Lord's Supper. You can give in the boxes or online. We'll sing together. And I'll be in the back for anybody who'd like to pray or has a question or just wants to talk about things. Thanks for being here this morning. Let's pray together. God, thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for speaking through the preaching of your word, the reading of your word, the singing of songs. We need not another sermon, not another truth to obey, not another song to sing or another prayer to pray. We need your spirit to invade this space and to crowd the sin out of our hearts. We need you to bring us back to our senses, back to who we really are. We need you to speak the truth about your unfailing love and your unending mercy. We need you to call us out of darkness and into light, out of sin and into holiness. We need you to tell us the truth about good news for people who are experiencing the bad. Thanks for the story of John, for the honesty and the vulnerability that it gives to us. Holy Spirit, have your way, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. When you're ready, you can come and take the Lord's Supper. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word together.